Good evening, guys, and welcome to another Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, Birmingham. Tonight, we're going to just finish off our John chapter 8 um, studies by looking at Matthew 23, actually. Matthew 23, 1 to 3. But before we just uh, start, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to be with us uh, this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love towards us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that every day as we wake up and as we go to bed, we know something new of your mercies and we know that you are good and we know that you are God and we know that you are in control. And Father, I just pray now as we study your word, as we consider the Pharisees this evening, that Lord, you would open our hearts, that Lord, you would show us just what you'd have for us, Lord Jesus, that Lord, you would challenge us to to be repentant if we need to be repentant, to be encouraged if we need to be encouraged and to walk forward by faith in you. Help us tonight, Lord Jesus. Help me to preach your word in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, tonight we're going to just do something a bit different. Over the past eight weeks, we have been looking through John chapter 8, as we have been doing for some time now, going through John uh, chapter by chapter in the midweeks. But over the past eight weeks in particular, throughout John chapter 8, we have seen something quite interesting. We have seen much of Christ, but we've also seen much of the Pharisees, this group of people who um, are much talked about in the New Testament, who frequently have a bad reputation. And the only group of people in the New Testament that Jesus says very harsh things about. So who are these people and what are they, why are they so important to the New Testament narrative? And um, that's a that's a good question. And why indeed are they are they some are people we can learn from as believers? Just briefly recapping on what we've learned so far in John chapter eight before we read Matthew twenty three one to three. So we've seen a number of things, haven't we? We've seen Christ's ability, Christ's desire to cleanse, to forgive, <clears throat> and to restore. And throughout John chapter 8, we've seen this in multiple different situations. We've seen first Christ's mercy to the adulteress, John 8, 10 to 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Of course, who is the ones, who is the people accusing the adulteress at this point? It's the Pharisees. We've seen, secondly, Christ's revelation as the light of the world. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the world, people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Thirdly, we've seen Christ's clear testimony that the Father and six other witnesses, at least, are testifying of the fact that he is the son of God. And we see this in John chapter five and John chapter eight in combination. Those witnesses are John the Baptist, the Old Testament scriptures, Moses, the father himself in heaven, Christ's miracles and teachings, and of course, Christ's explicit testimony. The fourth thing that we learned was that we see Christ's teaching, Christ's truth, is that he came to set us free from the bondage of sin and to set us free from the penalty that our sins deserve, so that we can be forgiven of our, the sin debt that we, pay, that we owe the Lord as a result 
of our sinfulness and we can be set free to live a life that is pleasing to him. John 8, 21, 24. Later, Jesus said to them, <clears throat> I'm going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot come along where I am going. Jesus continued, you are from below and I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I, ca I said that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you, you will die in your sins. And then a few other things that we've seen over the last eight weeks. We've seen that Christ's relationship with the Father is amazing. We've seen that interaction between Christ the Son and everything that the Father asked him to do. And we have seen that Christ's motivation ultimately is to please his Father and to do everything his Father has asked him to do. John 8, 29, 28, 29. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man across, then you will understand that I am. <clears throat> I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then we have seen how Jesus demonstrated the futility, the, the, the loss, the total failure of trying to trust in your physical heritage when it comes to your spiritual realities. And instead of being children of Abraham, uh, children of faith, the Pharisees were trusting alone in their descendancy from Abraham. Galatians 3.29 tells us ultimately the way that we are to be the children of Abraham. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promises to Abraham belong to you. And then the final thing that we've seen throughout this chapter is that Christ repeatedly claims to be the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the I am of Exodus. John 8, 58-59. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was ever born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. So over the past eight weeks, we've seen these wonderful truths. <clears throat> we've seen Christ explicitly stating that he is God, that he is the Lord of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Something pretty amazing <clears throat> for a carpenter from Nazareth. Over the past eight weeks, we've seen much of Christ and we've also seen <clears throat> much of the Pharisees. And the passage this evening that I want to take us to is Matthew 23, uh, specifically starting at one to three and then going through to verse 30, because we've seen much of these people called the Pharisees. Matthew 23, one to three. <clears throat> then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. <clears throat> so they don't practice what they teach or preach, We've heard this before, haven't we? We've heard this phrase throughout society of people who say something and then do something else. And of course, throughout John chapter eight, the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to catch him out. They were trying to show him <clears throat> that he wasn't who he said he was, which was, of course, to be the son of God. They were showing outright hostility towards him. It started off as subtle questioning and turned into 
they're picking up stones to throw at him, to stone him to death. Because ultimately throughout this chapter, John chapter 8, Christ was showing them their spiritual heritage. Their spiritual heritage as people who don't believe in Jesus. And ultimately some of their actions were inspired by their spiritual father, the devil. <clears throat> but what does this have to do, Matt, uh, with John chapter 8? Well, we've seen a window, haven't we, into unbelief with the Pharisees. We've seen an opportunity to reflect on what unbelief looks like in people who should have known better, in those who were so close to the truth, but yet didn't actually understand or indeed accept the truth. The Pharisees are a challenge to us because they were so close. <clears throat> they were so close. They were in the right circles. They were in the synagogue. They had the word of God. They were the people who should have known when the Messiah had come because they'd studied all their lives about his coming. But they missed it. They missed it. So this evening, I'm just going to ask three questions just to help us understand a bit more about the Pharisees and to see what we've been learning over the past eight weeks in the context of the rest of the New Testament. The first question is, who are the Pharisees? They're not particularly mentioned in the Old Testament scripture, apart from maybe in Ezra as, as the sort of social foundation of the Pharisees. So the first question is, who are the Pharisees? The second question, <clears throat> equally important, is does the scripture ever um, commend or celebrate the Pharisees or mention anything positive about them? Because we hear loads of negative stuff all the time in the New Testament. But is there anything positive? And then the final thing is, in Matthew 23 in particular, what are some of the things that are mentioned that are negative? And are we looking in the mirror? And we'll explore what that means later on. So... Who were the Pharisees? Well, it's a good question because we don't know a lot about the Pharisees in the Old Testament scripture. We know that in the tradition of Ezra, <clears throat> when Ezra and Nehemiah returned to the land following the 70 year captivity, that there was this revival, a revival led by Ezra and by Hilkiah, who discovered the scriptures uh, when they were, had not been discovered for some time in captivity to read the word, excuse me, to read the word of God, to teach the word of God before the people. And this time of being in the word, <clears throat> of teaching the, the Mosaic law, of teaching the truth about who God was, ultimately led <clears throat> to the formation of the Pharisees. Ezra 7, 8 to 10. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. For the gracious hand of his God <clears throat> was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. And of course, that's what the Pharisees did ultimately, wasn't it? They were teachers of the law. They taught the regulations of Moses to the people and they showed the people ultimately what they needed to do to be right with God in their eyes at that time. <clears throat> and of course, with any revival um, of, of um, the spirit, any revival of understanding of the word of God, there's often a context and the context in this in this particular time uh, between um, as between Malachi and the New Testament being formed, the end, the end of the Old Testament and the, end of the New Testament was this sort of um, paganization of Israel. The Greeks took over and there was a lot of struggle between the polytheistic 
multiple god understanding of the world of the Greeks and their philosophies, and the monotheistic understanding, one god, um, of the Jews. And the, there were lots of different fights, there was lots of different battles. There was this guy called Antiochus Epiphanes, who's mentioned or, or prophesied in the prophecy of Daniel, and he tried to take over Jerusalem. He desecrated the temple. There was a massive revolt, a, revol a revolt of the Jews at that time, led by somebody called Judas Maccabeus at about 160 AD. And this fight between what is godly according to Jewish tradition and what is pagan ultimately led to the arrival of the Pharisees. These people who loved the word of God, who were serious about God, who wanted to teach the people about God and ultimately wanted to teach the people how to walk in obedience to God. And their influence took over, certainly from 150 AD onwards, and was very much active and present <clears throat> in Jesus' day. And their sphere of influence, their place of operation, their modus operandi, if you like, was to teach in the synagogues, to teach in the individual towns, in these small synagogues. It wasn't to go to where the temple was. Uh, that, that was led by the Sadducees. The Sadducees at that time were the priestly class. No, it was to teach in the synagogue, in the small independent synagogues in each town, likened in many ways to the small independent churches of today. So we had the Pharisees and very briefly we had other groups. As I mentioned already, we had the Sadducees who didn't believe most of the Old Testament. Can you believe that? The high priests and the priestly class didn't believe anything beyond Deuteronomy. Wow, okay, weird. They were quite liberal, as we'd expect. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. And ultimately, they questioned the authority of Scripture. We had the zealots who wanted to take back Jerusalem and indeed Israel from pagan occupation by force and of course Simon the Zealot and we think Barabbas were examples of zealots. We had the Herodians and they uh, were uh, the rulers of Israel, the sort of high, the, like Herod for instance, hence the name, and they just wanted to compromise. They were tax collectors, they were officials and governors and they didn't really care much about the God of Israel. And then you had the Essenes who lived in isolation. They, they tended to be quite um, uh, reflective and meditative. And John the Baptist, who lived in isolation, as we recall, in the wilderness for many years, was an Essene. <clears throat> so you had these different groups in Israel who had different roles and influences on the people. And the fascinating thing about the Pharisees, really, is they studied the whole counsel of God, which at the time was the whole Old Testament. They thought and studied how to obey that law from the Lord from the Lord and then they taught the people how to do so. They believed in angels, they believed in resurrection. They believed in pretty much everything that we believe as Christians, apart from a few very important of course distinctions and differences about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the Godhead and about ultimately how we live out our spirituality. If you were to ask a Pharisee do you believe in one God? They'd say yes. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? They'd say yes. The fellowship is important in the community of believers. They'd say yes. They certainly wouldn't be amongst the people uh, who said anything goes, who said there is no absolute truth. They would be people who supported what we thought as Christians and said there is absolute truth. And that is found in God. So that's who the Pharisees are. Secondly, 
And this is really interesting because all we hear is negative stuff about the Pharisees, uh, mostly in, in pulpits. Is, is there anything in the, in the scriptures that is actually positive about the Pharisees? Can we learn anything <clears throat> from the Pharisees about their devotion to God? Does Jesus commend them at all in any way? Well, you'd be surprised. There's quite a bit in scripture which is positive about the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 3, as we've already read, Jesus says, practice and observe what they tell you. And he also agreed with the Pharisees' understanding of the great command of Judaism. Luke 10, 25 to 28. One day, an expert in religious law, a Pharisee, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So we see positivity already. Do what they tell you, don't do what they do, but do what they tell you because that is the truth, is what Jesus is saying. There's a fascinating encounter <clears throat> between the Apostle Paul and the scribes in Acts 23. Again, Paul ends up dividing this council <clears throat> of religious teachers, of scribes, who are all trying to accuse him of being this troublemaker. And he realises in the midst there are Pharisees. And Paul, being a former Pharisee, ends up, uh, you know, essentially complimenting and siding with the Pharisees, saying they believe in the resurrection and I'm under uh, condemnation because of the same hope as a Pharisee. He uses old status as a Pharisee to his advantage here. It's very quite comical the way it happened. And there was such uproar between the Sadducees and the Pharisees that ultimately Paul was delivered of, from, the, from this, this uh, council, this judgment um, he was about to face. But again, we see Paul complimenting the Pharisees' understanding of the resurrection. And there are many other aspects <clears throat> of the life and faith of the Pharisees, which the scriptures indeed do compliment. They love scripture. They love the memorization, the teaching and the preaching and the application of scripture. And indeed, it was in the synagogue where this all happened. And Jesus used to go to the synagogue, remember, throughout his ministry. He never distanced himself in many respects from the synagogue where the Pharisees were found, but indeed regularly went to teach the word in the synagogue. <clears throat> Luke 4.16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The historian Josephus also mentions that the, the Pharisees did all things that they might please God. So there was lots of um, positive things being talked about in the Pharisees. In a day where God was being rejected, the Pharisees wanted to obey God. They were devoted to pure worship. And they considered the style of worship in the temple, the big cathedrals of their day, to be very corrupted, to be uh, very sort of traditional or style or um, archaic. And instead favoured simple worship around the word of God <clears throat> and prayer. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it, to the way that most evangelical churches operate today. Instead of having um, a, um, incense, instead of having priestly garments, we just have somebody standing up at the front of our church preaching the word and we pray together and we worship in song. Sounds pretty similar to what was happening in Jesus' day in the synagogues. They regularly prayed and fasted. <clears throat> and indeed, in one comment, 
um, in Luke 18, 11 to 12, uh, it specifically mentions the Pharisees praying um, and indeed uh, behaving differently to the rest of the world. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, of course, there's a lot of pride in that statement, but there's also something to say about the fact the Pharisees were serious prayers. They valued being separated from sin and indeed they saw sin as the worldly influence on believers. They valued fellowship and indeed Josephus again, the historian said, Pharisees are affectionate to each other and cultivate harmonious relationships within the community. <clears throat> and finally, they were active evangelists. And indeed, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-three fifteen, which we'll see in a second, for you cross land and sea to make one convert. And we see many other instances of positive things in the scripture. We see in John chapter eight, ultimately, that some of the, some of the, the Jewish believers around uh, the Pharisees came to faith. And we saw, and it could have even included some Pharisees, of course, at that point, coming to faith in Jesus. We see <clears throat> in Luke 7, 36 to 50, look these up later, Luke 11, 37 to 54, and Luke 14, 124, Pharisees specifically inviting um, Jesus and his followers and his disciples for a meal in their home. And of course, there was many clashes in those meal, those, those meal accounts in the New Testament between Jesus and the Pharisees. But the fact they even opened their home up to Jesus, the fact they invited him for a meal, um, because they were so strict with their dietary regulations, showed us in many respects that they were serious about seeking the truth of uh, what Jesus was trying to teach them. And then we see <clears throat> some Pharisees saving Jesus' life in Luke 5, 17, 26. Again, look it up later. We see in Luke 13 to 31, again, um, sorry, it's, it's Luke 13 to 31, we see the, the Pharisees um, saving Jesus' life. And we see the same thing in, with Paul later in Acts. And we see, of course, positive, um, uh, specific Pharisees named in scripture, we see Nicodemus, who was serious about teaching and indeed seeking the truth as a Pharisee. And he sought Jesus in John chapter three, and then he defended Jesus in John chapter seven. And many believe, of course, that Nicodemus came to faith. We also see Joseph of Arimathea, who is termed to be a secret disciple of Jesus in John 19 and 20, who helped to bury Jesus in the tomb. And then we see, of course, in Acts, Gamaliel, a high-ranking Pharisee himself, who indeed taught Paul, was his instructor and his, his, um, his teacher uh, when Paul was a Pharisee, again being involved in preventing <coughs> the disciples in Acts 5 from being uh, killed by the Sanhedrin, telling them that they should trust God and not oppose what God is doing, if indeed what this was, what this was which was the ministry of Christ and the disciples was of God. So again, we see positive things. We hear lots of negativity about the Pharisees. We hear nothing but bad news often when we hear the Pharisees talked about in our churches. But as we've just seen, there is lots of positivity. There's lots of positive things about the Pharisees walk with God <clears throat> or attempt at walking with God. And the scary thing is they're pretty familiar. Those descriptions are pretty similar to what us as Bible-believing Christians look like in many respects. 
So it's quite interesting, isn't it, when we look at these Pharisees and we cast aspersions at these Pharisees and go, oh, how silly of the Pharisees to make such a decision, such unbelief. We need to be careful that we don't make the, the, the mistake of being hypocrites ourselves, that we don't make the mistake <clears throat> of turning um, our backs on these people who lived 2000 years ago, who give us a very important clue what it means to follow God. <coughs> they were so close, but they never accepted Christ. And that's the problem. That is the problem. If they'd accepted Christ, Christ very much in many respects was positive about the Pharisees. And indeed, scripture is positive about the Pharisees. But there's also a lot. And this is why we have this problem at the moment uh, with the constant negativity in, in pulpits about the Pharisees, because there is a lot to say about the Pharisees' failures. But there's a lot to say about our failures too, isn't there? Imagine if God wrote a book in the Bible uh, explaining how the modern church had failed to live up to what God had called them. And indeed, in most of the New Testament, we see challenging passages that we need to take note of. So let's look at some of the things that in Matthew 23 we see about the Pharisees in a negative sense and try and learn from those before we finish tonight. So verse four, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You see, Pharisees were people, as we've explained already throughout the rest of the eight weeks, Pharisees were people who lived according to the Mosaic law and they took it so seriously that they wanted to ensure that people didn't break the law. So they made barriers, they made rules that kind of kept people away from ever getting near to breaking the law. But what Christ was saying to the Pharisees was you make it just impossible to live for God because there are hundreds and thousands of things you ask people to do before they can even get near to me. <clears throat> and that was just impossible to do. And of course, the, the antidote and the remedy for us as New Testament believers is to remember who we are in Christ and to remember that we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. Romans 6, 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead <coughs> and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace so the first thing is that the Pharisees tried to add to God's law to stop people breaking it but they ended up being legalistic in the process verse 5 but all their works they do to be seen by men they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. This one's pretty obvious, isn't it? The Pharisees were being seen by God's people, were being seen in their synagogues to be the ones with the spirituality. They were, they were doing these things to be seen to be spiritual. In a modern day sense, they were carrying their big study Bible. They were praying out loud in the corner of the church. And they were doing these things, not because they loved the Lord, not because they wanted to teach the word per se, not because they wanted to be right with God but so that they could be seen by others to be right with God and that is a challenge to everybody in the church today what are we doing why are we doing it are we doing it to please the Lord to honor the Lord to love the Lord or are we doing it to make others think that we're doing it Matthew 23 6 to 12 
They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, to be called by men Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brothers or brethren. Do not call anyone on your on earth your father, for one is your father, who he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What is the application here? Well, the Pharisees like to be called rabbi, teacher. They like positions for themselves. They like responsibilities. They like to be called a name that told everybody else that they had a position in the synagogue, in God's house. So we see, first of all, don't we, that Christ teaching the futility in many respects of titles. Are we seeking us a seeking for ourselves a title when we try and serve God or are we just serving God and letting God lead us God deliverers God show us what we are to be doing for him you see we don't want to self-appoint ourselves into positions of spiritual authority we don't want to set up our own ministries without any accountability to the Lord and to indeed elders and pastors in churches because otherwise we're behaving like the Pharisees we're exalting ourselves and therefore, as Christ says, we will be humbled. The better position is to humbly ask the Lord what, what he wants you to do and then to wait for the Lord to open the door <clears throat> in his time and in his strength. And then throughout Matthew 23, we see seven woes, seven woes specifically to the Pharisees. And it's important to remember at this point that um, the Pharisees are the only group of people in, in the New Testament specifically highlighted by Jesus where he speaks to them really harshly and it's because they should have known better they should have known the truth that he was the Messiah standing in front of them because they knew the law of God so these woes are in the context of the fact that they should have known uh, better verse 13 but woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in, <clears throat> entering to go in. Jesus is simply saying, because you don't understand who I am, because you don't teach the truth about who I am, you're going to eternally condemn others because you're not teaching them who I am. And we know the way of life is Christ. So if you're not teaching them the way of life is Christ, then the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is closed to them also. We are responsible, aren't we, as believers, for how we witness. We are responsible for what we believe and for how we are a witness to that. We should be asking the Lord to empower our witness rather than witnessing ourselves. Because if we witness ourselves and we don't speak the truth of God from the word of God, then we're hypocrites because we don't show others the way of truth and the way of life. Um, Matthew twenty three fourteen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive great condemnation. They zealously applied the law. They zealously applied the word of God. But when they misapplied it, and they misapplied it often, they ended up exploiting the vulnerable and the poor in the name of righteousness. And of course, the clear message to us tonight, folks, is we mustn't be 
exploiting people. We mustn't be exploiting the poor or the vulnerable. That is sin. And Christ calls it that when he speaks to the Pharisees here. We must instead love our neighbour. We must instead put Christ first. We must instead show others the love of Christ and not exploit them in their weakness. We must come to the rescue of those who are being exploited rather than exploiting them. That is the job of a believer. <clears throat> and then 15, verse 15 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when, you, when he is one, <clears throat> you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Again, we see <clears throat> that the job of evangelism isn't first and foremost about getting, to, getting people to come to the front of the church to say a prayer. It's about reaching the lost. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about the good news that God has come to rescue us from our sin. And unless we say these things, unless we preach the truth when we evangelise, we could spend days, weeks, months or even years of our lives doing the wrong thing, doing it with the wrong heart, doing it with the wrong motivation, doing it again to point to ourselves rather than to point to Jesus Christ. You see, we can so similarly and easily fill it, um, fall into these, these woes uh, because we can very easily fall into what the Pharisees were doing unless we're prayerful and walking with the Lord day by day because they are walking in the flesh rather than the spirit and equally we can easily walk in the flesh rather than the spirit. Uh, Matthew 23, 16-22 Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple it is nothing but whoever swears by the gold of the temple he is obliged to perform it Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. <clears throat> he who swears by the temple, swears by it and by, uh, by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. <clears throat> the simple message Jesus is showing the Pharisees here is that when we forget who the blesser is, we start to worship and reverence our blessings, forgetting that God is the one who gave us the blessings, forgetting that God is the one worthy of worship for everything he's done for us. It's like it's like thanking the Christmas gift rather than thanking the one who gave you the Christmas gift. If we are in this position in our lives, if we're, if we're getting idolatrous over blessings, and those blessings might be amazing, they might be from the Lord. But if we put them above the Lord in any way, if we give them a position in our lives that is over the Lord, then we are doing what the Pharisees did. Uh, verse 23 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and aniseed, or anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier master of the law, <clears throat> justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <clears throat> Whenever we forget that the purpose of our walk with the Lord is to love him, to reflect his love and to love our neighbour. And instead we focus and obsess on the finer points of theology. We're being 
like the Pharisees. You see, your job when you're evangelising, when you're witnessing of Christ to others, is not to win an argument. It's not to convert them to the five points of Calvinism. It's not, you know, for instance, it's not to point them to a particular theological school of thought, but it's to point them to Christ and his love. There are so many in the church today who are doing this, who are trying to win arguments with people rather than loving people in the name of Jesus, rather than showing them that they're sinners and they need to be forgiven. <clears throat> May we not fall into the same trap. May we not fall into the trap the Pharisees fell into, which was trying to win people into a school of thought <coughs> rather than winning people to the Lord, to a person who is Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew 23 25, 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These next two woes are related. The Pharisees spent so much time looking right on the outside. They didn't focus on their need to be renewed, to uh, repent of the attitudes on the inside, to remember that they needed to be pure of heart rather than just appear to be pure of heart, to remember they need to be righteous inside rather than just to appear righteous on the outside. And the challenge, of course, here, folks, to us is, again, are we living in hypocrisy? Are we living outwardly in the church, in society, in the workplace, like we're a spiritual Christian? But on the inside, what are our attitudes? Are we proud? Are we indulging in lust? Are we uh, addicted to things that nobody knows about? We need to come to the Lord and repent because all of us in some way, shape or form are hypocrites in this respect. All of us have struggles as believers uh, in, our, in our walk with the Lord. All of us do fall into sin. That is, that is part of still being um, a human being. But we pray throughout our walk with the Lord that we sin less. And that our heart reflects more and more what Christ has done for us. That we grow up in the faith rather than remain carnal. And then Matthew 23, 19, sorry, 29 to 30, the final woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. <clears throat> the final one is the dangerous, uh, the dangers of assumption, of assuming just because our tradition gets the, got things right in the past, just because our church had revivals in the past, that automatically means that we're walking with God now, and that automatically means that God is going to do the same in the future. You see, many church denominations started off with revivals. You see, they had the Anglicans, which was a revival as a consequence of the Reformation. 
then the Anglicans got stale and we had a reformation and we had a revival in the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church sprung up from the Anglican Church. But when the Methodist Church got stale, then you had the Salvation Army. And when the Salvation Army got stale, then you had other revivals. The Calvary Chapel movement indeed was a revival. It started as a revival in California amongst people who were unchurched. You see, every time God's spirit moves, there is this fresh move of the spirit and a fresh work of God starts. The message never changes, but the way in which it's delivered may change and the methods in which it's delivered may change, obviously in line with scripture. Are we assuming as believers that just because we're in a certain church, just because we're in a certain denomination, that we are following God? We need to follow the word of God. We need to follow and follow the spirit of God and his leading in our lives. And we need to obviously walk by faith. We need to walk by faith that things may change, that the Lord may revive us, that the Lord may lead us to say things that are true from the scriptures, but say them in a different way. Who would have predicted that social media would have been so amazingly useful in spreading the gospel? But if we just stuck with the old ways, the old tradition. We would never have gone there. We would never have utilised a new opportunity to serve the Lord and to be faithful to his word in a different way. I want to ask you a simple question to finish tonight. Can you see yourself in the Pharisees? Can you see yourself as a believer in their struggles, in their difficulties, in the failures that they had? Of course, if we can, we know the Lord is good and we know that when we repent, when we come to him and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. As 1 John 1, 9 says, we are children of God if we believe in Jesus Christ tonight and we can come to him as children and say sorry to our Papa in heaven, our Father in heaven, and we are forgiven. But we need to pray that the Lord gives us strength to reject the legalism, of the Pharisees, to reject the trust in the flesh of the Pharisees and this sort of obsession with doing the right thing to be seen to do the right thing. We need to live in dependency on Christ, dependency on the spirit. And we need to be living lives that are humble before the Lord. I pray tonight that as we consider these things, the Lord would give us humility and the Lord would give us a fresh sense of wisdom to know how to walk in him. Because the Pharisees were so close to the truth, but missed it. I pray that we would not be the same as believers in Jesus Christ, as born again believers in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not miss the full blessing of walking with the Lord in the way he's called us to walk. Because we're missing the truth, even though it stares us in the face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you uh, show us many things about ourselves in the Pharisees, that they are in many respects like a mirror. And Father, I just pray that tonight, as we reflect on what we've heard from the word, that Lord, you would teach us, that Lord, you would challenge us, that Lord, you would convict us. If any of us need to repent, Lord, I pray that we would do so tonight, that we would not delay. And Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, as we go to live our lives the rest of the evening, and the Lord, as we go for the rest of the week to serve you, wherever you call us to be, help us to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. 
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Take care.